Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we are recapping the week that was in Mobile today as maybe the biggest event of this year's pre-draft process is now in the books. We're going to start this week's show off with our last installment of Scout Stories. Eagles area scout Sean Heinlein is going to drop by to talk about Eagles right tackle Lane Johnson. Sean scouted him when he was in Oklahoma, and you, you want to talk about senior bowl risers. Lane was a great example of that. We'll get into that in that segment. Again, that is the final Scout story segment that we've got in the can. So with that, I've got an announcement to make. Starting next week, we'll be having a weekly segment with one of the very best in the business when it comes to tape study, film evaluation, player projection. That's Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg will come on every single week, and we'll go through a handful of players that he studied and how they're going to make their transition to the NFL. We'll do that once a week, leading up all the way to the 2021 NFL Draft. So that's what's to come here on the show. But like I said, we will start off with our final scout stories here with Sean Hyland on Lane Johnson right at the top of this episode. Afterwards, we will transition to Draft Buzz where Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, and I will look at the week that was at the Senior Bowl, name some superlatives of our own. We already gave out our Practice Players of the Week in Friday show. And by the way, if you haven't, make sure you go back and check out those episodes. If you did miss them, there's some content in those episodes that you have got to check out not only the daily analysis on what we saw from practice, but there are interviews with coaches and you know they're talking about their players that played in the game with insight. You're not going to get anywhere else, so be sure to go check that out. But that being said, Ben, Dane, and I we're going to go through things like underrated performers, one play takeaways, who who stood out from small schools, much much more. That's going to be a fun discussion as always in draft buzz. After that, we head to on the clock. Where this week we're going to play matchmaker for three different teams at three different positions in three specific parts of the draft. It'll be a fun segment, just a different way for us to hit on different franchises and different options for those three different teams. Then we'll wrap things up with our draft mailbag. We'll hit on a couple comments from you guys at home. With that being said, I've cleared out the queue. That means the door is wide open for you. If you go onto our our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you ask a question, we will answer it here on the show. If you've got a mock draft, a specific player you want us to take a look at, if you want me to stack different position rankings, whatever you want to know, Now is the time. Go on our Apple podcast, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We'll get to it later here this week. That being said, let's jump back to the year 2013. Lane Johnson coming out of Oklahoma. We're going to talk with Sean Heinlein. It's time for our final Scout Story. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us this week here on Scout Stories is Eagles Southwest Area Scout, Sean Heinlein. Sean, thanks so much for joining us again, man. Hi, Fran. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So let's talk about Eagles offensive tackle Lane Johnson. Uh, you know, Obviously, a, a really unique player when he was coming out of Oklahoma. The Eagles made him a top-five pick. Uh, interested to get your thoughts on him and your memories of scouting him when he was uh, with the Sooners. Yeah, Lane's one of those guys that, uh, you know, grew into the offensive tackle position, uh, high school quarterback, basketball player, you know, phenomenal athlete, and played quarterback in junior college even. And as from there, Oklahoma brought him in and, you know, shifted him over to, to tight end originally, and then eventually grew into that offensive tackle position. And when you went in there to visit, you just saw this massive athlete that was able to move his feet really well. He was just really raw, just needed to work on fundamentals. But you you saw the potential he had 
just because of his length, his feet, his ability to bend. It was very rare. He, and he came out the same year. It was a, that was a loaded offensive tackle group. I mean, three of them went in the top five. So you look at uh, it was him and Luke Jokel and Eric Fisher. Eric Fisher ended up going number one. Of those three, I mean, Fisher was a former tight end, um, but I mean, Lane was the the most raw of that group, or was perceived to be that way, um, you know, by the people on the outside. How hard is it to kind of put those guys and try and stack them together when you had such a small sample size with Lane? And really, the best that we saw of him was late. It was like that senior year in the senior ball. I remember he was outstanding down there in Mobile. How hard was it to kind of compare them apples to apples? That was the thing with him was, was projecting where he's going to be two to three years down the road because coming in year one, you weren't going to be able to expect him to be, let's say for Jokel, for instance, from a because he had played so many games. You, you yeah. knew what you were going to get when he came in, and you knew you had a really good idea of probably where his ceiling was. But with Lane, you knew that the ceiling was really high. You just didn't know how fast it would take him to get to that. So that's what you were betting on to come with him was how fast could he get to that and and – you know, what's the right situation to get him in to be able to get to that as fast as possible. When you see a guy have that kind of week down at the senior ball, you know, obviously it helps, but like, is it hard to separate? Like, all right, we've got, you know, in Lane's case, it was a smaller sample size, but let's say you saw two, three, four years of film on a guy in college, then he goes to mobile and he's just lights out. Do you, how do you separate that? Or does it just become another stick on the top of the pile in terms of the overall eval? That's the thing. It becomes just a little, a little piece of the pie. You know, we'd say it's, it's, it was a great, obviously last impression you're going to get, you see him with the top talent, you see him for a whole week and through the process of how he handled practices, how he handled each competitive segment of each practice. Um, so, so it leaves you with the idea of, Hey, this guy's going to continue to grow because he came to this odd setting, brand new to him, brand new terminology, brand new everything. And he was able to thrive that's definitely a feather in the cap as you move forward to say this guy's going to be able to take these new situations and run with it in a positive direction. And the big thing too with him was, I remember like play strength, especially like early in the career, in his career, how, how hard is that to project? Cause some guys come out and they're able to get bigger, they're able to get stronger and some guys aren't. How hard is that to be able to, I guess, count on that moving forward? Well, that was something that when you go into the talk there, and I was fortunate enough to have a great relationship with uh, Jerry Schmidt, the strength coach there. He and I were at Florida together back in the mid-90s. So from talking to Jerry and, and knowing him as well as I do, was able to project like, hey, here's where he is now. Here's where his body's going to be in a couple of years. Like this guy's country strong to start with. The weight room strength is still coming, and it's just going to continue to get better. Um, so you're going to be able to see like this guy's physical potential matches the athletic potential it's all there going forward. It's just a matter of having a little bit of patience till he gets there. Well, Sean, this was awesome, man. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Fran. I appreciate it. Well, great stuff there from Sean Heidlin and really some topical items there, right? Because you talk about uh, Lane Johnson and he talks about just the, the unique journey he had. High school quarterback, Juco quarterback, uh, tight end. He was playing defensive line a little bit. Just a, a massive athlete who was really raw and a project. Now, we talked last week with Ian Cunningham, the Eagles assistant director of player personnel. He talked about just the lack of in-school visits for uh, for teams all around the NFL this year. You weren't able to get on campus to see these guys up close in person. And that's what they what they do is called body typing. They're trying to get a good idea, not just the athletic traits, but 
how a guy's built, what can he add on? You know, you, uh, Sean talked about uh, trying to figure out, hey, uh, you know, how much bigger can Lane Johnson get? How much stronger can Lane Johnson get? Well, if you don't have those in-person visits, it's harder to identify who those guys are. Not only that, but you're going to get other guys that are slipping through the cracks. Maybe they don't, they don't get that Senior Bowl invite, right? What Dane mentioned uh, late in the show, the st- one of the stars of the Senior Bowl, we're going to talk about him in the next segment, Quinn Miners from Wisconsin-Whitewater. He only got added to the game just a few weeks ago when Landon Dickerson, the Alabama center, uh, was, you know suffered that knee injury. So you see all these players that are going to fall through the cracks a little bit. Maybe that buzz didn't generate around scouts all through September and October and then that doesn't help him get that that notice from uh, the Senior Bowl. Well, there's going to be a lot of players now that fall through the cracks. So Lane Johnson, a great, great example of that. Yeah, maybe Lane Johnson would have gotten a Senior Bowl invite if he were coming out this year. Maybe not. And if he doesn't go down there, he doesn't get the chance to really improve his stock and elevate himself to the number four player overall. And he was the guy of those three tackles that we mentioned. He's the one who's lived up to that draft slot. So I think it's really interesting. You talk about players that uh, have that ability to you know, show off in front of scouts through the fall. That's what gets them noticed by the senior ball. They get that little buzz. They get the ball rolling there. Then they get down to Mobile, and that's where you see uh, their stock really take off. And, you know, you look, the, the senior bowl risers, that, that is a real thing because especially when you're getting guys that are more projections, you, you, you're you going to have your three-year starters, your four-year starters. You kind of know what you're going to get. You're expecting them to show up to Mobile and stand out. It's the guys that go above and beyond. Maybe the guys that they're playing a new position, or they're coming from a lower level of competition, or they're coming off of an injury. They haven't played a ton of football in that spot. Well, now they go down to Mobile, and they're going up against, in theory, the best of the best right from around the country. And if they show off in that stage where the pressure is on, well, now you, you that gives you a little bit more excited. Maybe that carries a little bit more weight. And so, uh, especially this year, because of the unique circumstances, I think a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about here in this next segment, maybe that, they, that'll carry a little bit further than a normal year. I think it's going to be really interesting just to kind of follow uh, how this is portrayed here in the coming weeks and coming months. The other interesting note I thought uh, from Sean was just that relationship with the strength coach. And again, I, I say this all the time. It is a people business. So, uh, you know, just like how you know when you're interviewing for a job, no matter what occupation you have, it's all about who you know more often than not, right? It's timing and it's who you know. And football is no different. You're going to have scouts that no strength coaches, no assistant coaches, uh, maybe an assistant coach just got hired by an NFL team. And, oh, yeah, I know this guy or I recruited this guy. All of those things happen every single year. We don't always know about them during the process. We find out about them afterwards, but they always play. You know, They always come into account. And the teams that can get that best information doesn't mean they're necessarily going to pick that guy but they're getting really, really good information that they feel good to make a much more informed decision. Just a, a part of the process that I find to be so fascinating. Great stuff um, from Sean, he- Sean Heinlein. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, this series that we did uh, this year. Honestly, I don't want to take credit for it. Ben uh, Ben Fennell came up with the idea for the segment, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Hope you guys uh, were able to enjoy that. We'll, I think we're going to run this back uh, and do something very similar here in the fall. So uh, that's our, our interview with Sean Heinlein. Let's start talking about this week's action and this team's this draft season's action will go now to draft buzz now it's time for draft buzz 
All right, well, excited to get things going here with Draft Buzz as I welcome in Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel. Guys, the Senior Bowl officially behind us, but before we put it to bed, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of reflect on just the, the entire week because we talked all about practice, but we got, we'll talk a little bit about the game as well. But uh, now that we're out of it, uh, Dane, well, just kind of parting thoughts on uh, just the entire experience. Obviously, a unique year for sure uh, for you going down to Mobile. Very different. And, you know, we, we covered it um, just uh, a lot of the differences, including just the stadium itself, how, how different that was. Um, but I think just overall, uh, it, it's something that is so unique this season with we don't know what the pro days are going to look like. We, we know there's not going to be a combine, uh, but credit to Jim Nagy and his staff for making sure there was a senior bowl. And, you know, I was laughing with Jim um, at some point last week, just how much money it costs for all the, the plexiglass for <laughs> this to set up the, uh, all the interviews, um, you know, cause they, they, they uh, had to do make it safe for everybody. And, but they still wanted the interviews to be a big part of, of the senior bowl. And so um, a lot of these teams got FaceTime with these players. And that's something that we don't really know what, if that's going to happen the rest of the way. So just, a, just a huge, huge week for a lot of players and, and for all 32 teams. So let's actually talk about that. And Ben, I'm going to come to you first here. I've got two little sound bites that uh, came from press conferences last week. And um, there were just two. And I wanted to kind of hash them out with you guys. And I'm going to uh, toss to the first one here. The first one is actually three different sound bites. Two of them are from Carolina Panthers head coach, Matt Rule. uh, And one is from uh, Miami Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores. But it's all talking about character and, you know, just how much the interview process, you know, being able to get those face-to-face interactions matter to the entire draft process. Here's that bite right now. As I told the players, you know, we think we know all these guys, you know, our scouts do a great job and all the scouts around the league do a great job, but that, that's always information from a third party, you know, someone at the school, a coach, and they, I'm sure they do a great job. This is a chance for the players to really speak for themselves and say, hey, no, this is who I am. This is what my makeup is. And so I think coaching them, I think um, being in meetings with them, I think just being on the elevator with them, you know, uh, you get a sense for the guys. And, you know, we're looking to find out who's, you know, who's tough, hardworking, and competitive, or who's smart, who loves the game, um, and all, who's a good person. You know, I mean, we um, we spend six months of the year together. Uh, so we, we want to be around people that we like and, and fit us. So... Um, I think this is invaluable in this year to have this opportunity. I mean, no one knows what will happen after this. I think it's really smart of these guys to play in this game. I think Jim Nagy and his staff have done a fantastic job putting together a great roster, and I think we'll leave uh, with a really good sense of these guys. Uh, Look, we're looking for guys who are tough, who are smart, who are competitive, who love to play, who love to practice, who are looking to get better, who want to improve, and guys who are team first. And you know, so those are sort of the intangibles, you know, we're looking for. And, and if a guy has that um, and is talented, then, you know, I imagine he'll, he'll do the things and make the sacrifices necessary uh, to make himself the best player he can possibly be. If a guy is more talented and don't have, have those qualities, then I guess, you know, I don't guess, I believe that that player will get passed up because some other players will do all the things necessary to make the, and make the sacrifices necessary to get better, improve, and I think past that, you know, player with the lesser intangibles, I think you'll pass him up. Now, when you put a good player with good intangibles, you know, that's that's really what you're looking for. So those are just, you know, my thoughts, my opinions. I mean, it's changed everything. You know, it's all, it's not a lot of interaction. Uh, it's not a lot of one. I mean, I'll just tell you this. Um, there, there, there was a player last year 
and I won't say who who um, who was supposed to be drafted pretty highly. And I got in the elevator with them at the combine, and I was just like, by the end of that elevator ride, ride elevator ride, I was like, there's no way I'll, I'll that that guy will be fit with us. And just just the way their demeanor, the way they acted. I mean, um, so you know. Uh, I think having that personal touch is is really hard, right? To not to not have it, but you know we have to make it up on Zooms. I think our scout, you know, our scouts didn't really go out much this year. They didn't do school calls. They didn't have a chance to get in. They had to do it all over Zoom, and then went to some games. So I think it's changed everything. This would be a year where everyone across the NFL knows less about the players than any other year. All right, so some interesting stuff to kind of unpack there. And Ben, I want to come to you first. Like I said, just overall big takeaways from listening to that bite. And uh, I know this is something you and I are always talking about here on the show, about it's not just what these guys do uh, on the field, but it's who they are as people and as teammates and as coworkers. And it was just great to hear NFL coaches say it to our listeners rather than hearing us uh, say it for the you know upteeth time here on the podcast. Well, I feel like we see these gladiators on TV and our fantasy teams, and we really kind of omit the human element to it. And these coaches, the boots on the ground, the guys working hands-on with these players really put that twist on it. And this is a big part of Senior Bowl week is getting to know not just the player, but who is going to be that teammate, the potential employee, the coworker, the member of society uh, that you're also getting. So, you know, figuring out not only your football character, but your, your natural character as a human being is a big aspect of, you know, projecting to the NFL and being a successful professional, not only in the NFL or other sports, but in life. Uh, so I love to always kind of spin it back to these are kids, they're young adults, they're people first and foremost that happen to be professional athletes. And it's very unique, but you can't forget the human aspect of it. And Dane, I thought it was interesting. You know, Coach Rule brought up the uh, the elevator story from the combine last year, and you're not going to have the combine this year. You're not going to have uh, those opportunities. And I think you know, and he alluded to that, but it's going to make for a really unique pre-draft process. No doubt. And, you know, I think it's a lesson to players out there that you are always being evaluated. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. Um, and even at the high, high school level, even when you're a freshman in college, uh, you know, who, who knows who scouts are talking to? Uh, you know, the, maybe they're talking to uh, at, at the football facility. They're talking to the janitor about, you know, have you seen this uh, this player around? And is he, you know, what can you tell me about him? Things like that. You just don't know. Uh, you know, the different things being talked about. So, you know, it's just, it's a lesson for players. And this year it's going to be really interesting with the, without having that combine and without having that face-to-face time, but that's why the senior bowl is so important. And, you know, it's a, a lot of teams are going to rely on their contacts already at the programs, uh, throughout, uh, or, uh, at different college programs uh, around the country to try to figure these guys out, you know, uh, what makes them tick? Uh, what's the, are they a culture fit for us? Uh, especially, uh, you know, you look at coach rule who, you know, you can tell, I, I, I guarantee you, you know, coaching that team, he eliminated probably half the guys, uh, just because it wasn't a fit, maybe scheme wise, maybe some of them culture wise, um, you know, based off of who he coached that week, uh, for the Panthers, uh, you know, just because it's, uh, you know, you're always being evaluated no matter what. And so this is just another, another step. It's going to be a little harder this year without the combine. Yeah, and he said it. It was uh, what was the quote? It was we're, we're, we spent six months a year with these guys. So who do we want to be around? Who do we want to be working with? And uh, Ben, to, to Dane's point, I thought that my favorite quote from that whole from that whole soundbite from all three from both coaches uh, was what Coach Rule said. Um, 
you know, about this look, the, what the scouts do, the information they get, that's secondhand. That's from assistant coaches, from janitors, from strength coaches. This is the player's opportunity to come in and really tell us who they are with through their actions. And I, and I thought that was my favorite part of that entire bite. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to take away from a week at the senior bowl. We obviously see the balls flying and the pads, you know, thumping out there, but between the drills and your body language and the little meetings with the position coaches after reps and how coachable are you? How do you figure out if a player is coachable or not? A lot of times you figure it out by coaching. Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes you learn that, you know, in June and July after the draft and you maybe realize, sheesh, He's not a coachable kid. And the Senior Bowl gives you a chance to get your hands on them and to figure out the goods and bads and pros and cons that these players, you know, uh, profile and represent. And it's just really cool to kind of peel back that, that layer this week. So let's go to the second bite that I pulled. And this was also from uh, from Matt Rule from uh, his press conference. And he was asked about which traits he values most at the quarterback position. Let's go to that answer right now. I, I think you want someone who's... Um elitely intelligent. I think you want someone who's a tremendous leader. Um, and when I say intelligent, it's not, not, not the ability to, 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 to gain information as much as it is to process information. Um, I think you want someone who's accurate. I think you want someone who has arm talent to make all the throws. And I think you want someone who um, uh, has a history of, of making plays in, in, in crucial situations. You know, that's, um, that's just that's very you know kind of generic. Um, I think with with quarterbacks today in the NFL, especially the young guys, the young guys you see having success, you see a sense of mobility to those guys. Um, whereas the older guys, they process so quickly. Like you know, you blitz Drew Brees, you blitz Tom Brady, the ball's out before you you know you take two steps. I mean, they're not going to run a bad play. They're going to be in the younger guys don't have that knowledge base. They don't have that experience, and so they have to sometimes rely on their feet a little bit more. And uh, I think having tremendous weapons around them. Um, I think a lot's made sometimes about quarterbacks coming into the league and failing. Um, but usually a lot of times that's, they go to poor organizations without a lot of talent around them. You know, you know, watch the game this week coming up in the Super Bowl, whenever, you know, the Super Bowl. Uh, both, both Mahomes and Brady are elite talents, elite players, but they're also surrounded by a ton of talent. And so I think all of that kind of goes in, into, the, um, into their success. But those would be the traits I'd say we're looking for um, at any at any in, in any of our quarterbacks. All right, so Dane, I want to come to you first with this one. Uh, overall reaction, just listening to uh, Matt Rule and the uh, the traits that he values most at the quarterback position. Well, so much of playing quarterback is mental, and you know, obviously, the, you know your mental capacity and your ability to uh, process things quickly, and you know that on the field, but also off the field, character and how you present yourself, being a leader, and you know all those things we know are important, but it's harder to necessarily judge and scout those things uh, based just on tape or. Uh, you know, without spending a lot of time with these guys. So, you know, I, you, you knew Matt Rule jumped at the opportunity to, to coach at the Senior Bowl because it's, it's a hands-on opportunity to find out what kind of learners are these guys, uh, you know, what kind of leaders are they, how do they interact with their teammates, just find out more about them because as a quarterback, uh, I mean, there, there's so many traits uh, that you just don't see necessarily on film that go into whether or not he's a sex, uh, successful quarterback. So it's just, it's, uh, you know, a, a part of the, what makes quarterback such a, such a tough position to evaluate. Ben, there was one aspect of that quote that made me think of you and just talk, you know, the, our conversations about the quarterback position and, uh, you know, obviously everything being so situational, him talking about 
the elite talent, the supporting cast surrounding these quarterbacks, pointing to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, looking at Kansas City, looking at, at Tampa Bay. What was your kind of thought on that aspect of the quote? Well, I think that's a big conversation of quarterback, you know, evaluation right now. And like DJ just formulated on Twitter, you know, yesterday, the trucks versus trailers yep. and, you know, whether you're a product of your surroundings or whether you're creating your surroundings and lifting up those teammates around you. And there's different ways to do it. You can win with both, st- both styles. Um, but figuring out who that makeup is, who that football, you know, IQ is at the quarterback position is a huge factor of it. Mm. You know, the confidence, the competitive nature, just getting in and out of the huddle, how you talk to teammates, whether you command that type of respect, all that stuff matters. Then your quarterback style can be evaluated and whether it works in your system. And, uh, you know, if you're excelling and lifting the players around you, I just think the quarterback position right now is a very fluid type of projection. There's a lot of different ways to go about it as we see some teams, you know, going with the veteran guy, some with the young guy, some with the mobile guy. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I love just hearing, you know, Matt Rule kind of talk about his perspective on it, particularly other teams in the NFL as well. Yeah, no question. I, I thought that that was a really um, kind of illuminating aspect of that quote. And he talked about both the on-field traits, you know, he talked about accuracy and the ability to extend and things like that, but then also uh, the off-field traits as well. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, those two sound bites. Let's now go to our senior ball superlatives, guys. And Dane, you and I, we did our um, our practice players of the week this pa- uh, on Friday, you know, getting ready to for the game on Saturday. But this is going to be a little bit different. Here, we're going to just kind of go through some different categories, just a way to talk about some players coming out of the entire week. And the first one, we're just going to do the, what's the biggest riser. I mean, who was the guy that was helped most by the entire week? And I'll kick things off. Honestly, I mean, it's hard to give an answer outside of Quinn Miners, the center or guard from uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. He lined up at both positions, uh, which was big for his projection as well, because he was really a guard only uh, playing at the D3 level at Wisconsin Whitewater. But, um, you know, from the very jump, just seeing you know, not just his athleticism, but just seeing his tenacity in the blocks, the technique that he was playing with, uh, his play strength, really just across the board, just checked all kinds of boxes. Dane, you made the point, um, you know, him breaking the bone in his hand in Thursday's practice, gutting his way through it. And then I know uh, Ian Rappaport from NFL Network tweeted out on Friday that he was basically begging the team, begging, begging the senior bowl staff, like, yeah, like, I want to play. Don't hold me out of this game. I mean, just adds to the legend uh, of Quinn Miners. Dane, uh, I, I know you've got thoughts on Miners as well, but give us your, uh, your pick as well here for the biggest riser. Well, and I was going to say, it, it was the opposite for a lot of offensive linemen. A lot of offensive linemen pulled out of the game. They were, you know, we don't want to risk injury. We, we, I thought I did enough during the week. They were struggling. Uh, they had actually had to bring in uh, some linemen to uh, just play in the game. And Miners was the complete opposite. And well, before I answer, let me just I'm gonna put it to you really quick. I've been going down to the Senior Bowl for a, a decade now, and I don't remember a player helping himself as much mm. as Miners did. Uh, do you guys remember anyone? I mean, even like, uh, you know, like, uh, Ali Marpet from Hobart, like, I mean, he, he was a mid rounder coming in. Like people knew he dominated D3 competition. Miners had, I had not heard to talk to a team that had better than a sixth or seventh round grade on him. Now he's maybe in the top 100 conversation. I don't, I don't remember a player helping himself to this extent, uh, over the years at the senior bowl. I think it goes to in the last segment I talked about, um, basically how the guys this year, there was just such such a unique set of circumstances because scouts were not on campus uh, for every school this year. So you didn't have uh, that buzz building. There weren't scouts seeing each other and saying, Oh, Hey, have you seen the Wisconsin white quarter kid yet? Uh, If you haven't, you got to go check him out. You know, that kind of, there's, there's none of those back and forth. They weren't on the field this year. 
So the buzz hadn't built. And so he was a, he was a late rounder to undrafted free agent coming into the week. And then you see what he was able to do. I, I would agree with you. I don't know that we've seen one quite like this one. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go for, I would have went with minors, but uh, he's off the board. So I'm going to go with Rishi Grant, uh, who, you know, I, I liked quite a bit coming in. Uh, I had a top 100 grade on him, third round grade. Uh, But I I think he showed uh, throughout the week of practice that he's going much higher than that. He's going to go somewhere in the top 50 picks, the range that he plays with the play speed. uh, He had a handful of interceptions throughout the week and just, you know, you see that receiver background. Uh, love the way he'll come down, uh, run the alleys, come downhill and hit you. I just think he has everything you want in a uh, starting level uh, NFL safety. So I, I think he's he's a player that's going to be in that top 50 mix and uh, really helped himself, made himself some money uh, with what he did at practices. Ben, let's come to you. Who was your biggest riser? Yeah, Richie Grant's a great pick. I went back and watched his tape immediately uh, after those couple days in practice, and he is an excellent mix of playing that post and single high and also being a box safety, really good coverage instincts. Obviously sets the tone when he arrives with his hitting. I love Richie Grant. I'm glad he's getting some buzz. I went with Demetric Felton, who everybody knew was a running back listed, and everybody said, oh, it's just running back, playing receiver, a guy we've been talking about all season long here on Journey to the Draft podcast because he was a four-star receiver that came to UCLA as a receiver, then moved to a backfield pass-catching role. This week goes back to that receiver position and is turning heads saying, who's this Demetric Felton kid? And it doesn't matter if it was one-on-one, seven-on-sevens, team, and then in the game, produced every day, every session of practice. And it wasn't hard to see his ability to uncover, get off the line of scrimmage, catch the ball, accelerate after the catch, And now everybody's saying, who is this gadget, you know, hybrid player guy we've been obviously crushing about all season long. Easy, easy comparison to Naheem Hines, who was also a slot receiver at NC State before moving to the backfield and is a great third down pass catcher for the Indianapolis Colts. So Demetri Felton, I think, was probably a consensus late day three and now is probably going to go on day two with the team that really wants to add a weapon to their offense. Am I the only one of the three of us that moved him into my receiver bucket uh, coming out of last week? Or did you, Fran, you said that back? literally I was calling up my notes for the podcast and can never remember which position <laughs> I have him in. Uh, he is in my receiver group though. Okay. Yeah, I, I did too. And I mean, there's, I, I also kind of like the Tony Pollard uh, comparison, mm. that type of player. I mean, yeah, I, I, the thing is, is I don't think, I don't think you have to, or there's a right or wrong answer receiver or running back is yeah. line them up at both. Let them, let them flex and just do a lot of different things. All right, well, let's get to uh, our game ball, our guy who was helped most by the game. So taking practice out of the equation, who was it that impressed most on Saturday in the game? Dane, uh, you can kick this one off. So I'm going with Keith Taylor uh, nice. from uh, Washington, who you know had a really, really nice uh, game. His week was solid. I don't think it was necessarily uh, great or disappointing. Uh, he had some wins. He also had some losses during the week of practice, but the game is where he really, really stood out. You see him uh, with the size, the length, uh, did a really nice job from press, patient feet, but at the same time was able to open his hips and uh, stay hip to hip. Uh, just he, he looks like the prototype, uh, maybe not as bulky as you want, but in terms of you know, his feet and his length, uh, there, there's a lot to work with there with for Keith Taylor. So I thought if you just watched the game, you would have thought, okay, well, you know, who's this first rounder at corner with, with the way he played? Hmm. Yeah, I thought that he certainly had some flashes uh, throughout the week and he was able to follow through with a good performance on Saturday. Ben, uh, who got your game ball? 
Man, Keith Taylor, Melifonwu, the St. Juice, there's some big long corners no down there that I know yeah. people are going to go run to the film this week, but I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit, the game's MVP, quarterback Kellen Mond. I thought when he played uh, within structure and rhythm and got the ball out, he looked outstanding. A couple of nice back shoulders, good placement at Trayvon Grimes, another one at Cornell Powell, had the two touchdowns on inbreakers. The one a seam to Amari Rogers where he got hit, held onto the ball, another slant to the backside of Josh Palmer later, two two-point conversions, ran one in, hit Rogers under pressure on another one. Bunch of really nice throws over the middle to Shy Smith. It's like you almost knew if he hits that back foot and ball out, good things are gonna happen. Mm. If he held on to the ball, I felt like he didn't know what he was looking at, got confused, didn't know where that progression or where that outlet was supposed to be. But if he felt comfortable with that first read, he let it rip and he looked pretty good out there. I know the stats are very up and down. I think it was 13 to 26 or something right around 50% completions. But when he let that thing go in rhythm, he looked outstanding. So if you just put those together in a vacuum, I thought he showed a lot and probably separated himself with those, you know, other middling mid-tier quarterbacks uh, with his performance this week. Yeah, I thought that all those quarterbacks had uh, some flashes uh, on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off the board for mine. I'm going to go with uh, Jimmy Morrissey, the the center from Pitt, who, yeah. Dane, you kind of alluded to him earlier, uh, was added late in the week. I mean, what was he added? Friday? Uh, so he made the call. Yeah. He was working out. Uh, uh, Jim Nagy had tweeted about it. He was working out at Pensacola, one of the big workout centers uh, for pre-draft prospects. And he made the drive down. It's an hour and change. I know. Cause that's exactly where I fly into uh, every year for the senior bowl made that hour drive uh, and ended up taking it, soaking in everything he could Friday night and pick up the offense and executed on the game of Saturday. We didn't talk too much about Jimmy Morrissey uh, throughout the course of the season. He's been a, a four-year starter, I believe uh, oh, yeah. for the Pitt Panthers um, Philly kid. Uh, so local here uh, for Eagles fans, but then also he's a smart player really good at picking up blitzes from the second and third level. I thought he did a really good job of IDing things late and then also just really strong. He's able to hold the, the integrity of the pocket. He's tough. He's technically sound. He's not powerful. He's not a super fleet of foot, fleet of foot athlete, not a guy that you're going to see uh, as a, a great puller out in space or a weapon in the screen game. But uh, I think Jimmy Marcy, an intriguing player. I was glad to see that he got the call up and pretty cool to see him get that shout out uh, from Jim Nagy as well uh, late in the process on Saturday. And real quick, Fran, it's worth noting, he was a former walk-on. No yep. FBS offers, red shirts that first year at Pitt, and then starts every game from there on out. Missed a couple games in 2018 for injury, but 47 games started, over 3,200 snaps. Team captain has earned that scholarship for those remaining four years. Has a degree in finance marketing, now in the grad school, <clears throat> and in 2020 just got the Burlesworth trophy for the best former walk-on in the country. This is the guy you're just rooting for and seeing that kind of career path and, uh, you know, earning his way to stardom after being kind of a uh, forgotten uh, prospect. So Ben, I'm going to bounce this one right back to you. The next one, uh, most notable practice player of the week award. So, uh, basically the way that the senior bowl did this is that they had one overall practice player of the week. And I don't know exactly how they voted on that Dane. I don't know if they did a, a poll of scouts or if it was just who got the most votes from the players, but the way that they also did it was, um, one player from each position group got voted on by the group that they faced off against in practice. So the defensive line of the week for the American squad, well, that was voted on by the offensive lineman from the American squad the guys that they faced every single day in practice. So a bunch of awards given out. So my question is, what was the most notable? And you can take that word notable <laughs> any way you'd like. Uh, ben, I'm going to come to you first. Which practice player of the week award was most notable in your eyes? 
and I love the way they do this voting process. I wonder if that would work in politics. You think the Republicans could pick a Democratic candidate and vice versa? Don't we'll save cross, that for another don't, pod. Let's not cross that bridge right now, Ben. <laughs> but anyways, one of my favorite practice players of the week showed up in the game, too, with a nice sack fumble. This guy was a ball of energy on the defensive line. Osa Odigizua yep. uh, out of UCLA was one of my favorite players. And you had to keep an eye on him because he would line up at one tech, three tech, off the edge in one-on-ones, line up up and down the defensive line, just like he did at UCLA. But every snap, I mean, you didn't know if he was going to hit you with stoutness and power and strength or some quickness. I know, Fran, you put up a really fun spin move against the right guard, held up double teams really strong all week, has some quickness from a variety of different alignments. Really, really fun player. I'm not entirely sure where I want to play him at the next level yet. That, I think that's I'm my question. Yeah, I'm going to split the difference, Dane, and go with the three-tech. Um, okay. with some, you know, some flexibility. I think he's right around 6'2", 280. So he's kind of yeah. a, you know, right in the middle there as far as, uh, you know, height, weight, size. But really interesting player. I just thought he was a ball of energy, getting in and out of drills. The second the rep was done, sprinting back to the end of the line to go get a pointer from the position coach. I love seeing guys like that, you know, just look like they were just happy to be alive, happy to be out there playing with tons of energy and productive. Too. So I mean, he was checking a lot of boxes and a guy I want to go back and watch his tape this week. Yeah, there was a, a bunch of, of defensive linemen I thought that you know could kind of make their make their name felt uh, this week, and I thought Odigizuo was one of the best for sure. So I was glad to see him uh, get that award for me. I'm going to go with the guy who got overall practice player of the week because we just, you know, waxed poetic about Quinn Miners a few minutes ago, uh, but it was another offensive lineman in Dylan Radins from North Dakota State who ended up winning the overall practice player of the week award. And it was kind of unheralded what he was able to do. But when you watched him at whether he was a left tackle or left guard, I thought he looked good throughout the course of the week. And again, I don't know exactly how they voted on this one. I don't know if it was just the guy who got the most votes or if they did poll scouts for this one. And Dane, I don't know if you could shed any light on that, but uh, Raiden's I thought was really, really good um, throughout the course of the week of practice. And um, look, we we have talked about him a lot, the three of us on this show. And maybe that initial love where, oh, he's going to go top 10, top 12, maybe a little bit rich for all three of us, but good player. And I think he showed that, uh, down in mobile. I was glad to see uh, him come through with a strong week of practice. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, he was a player that I, I think on film, uh, coming in, most teams had third, fourth round grades on him, but I mean, he, he showed that he could stick outside of tackle. I think that was a big question. Did he, could he, does he have the pass protection skills to play out in space? And I thought he, he did a nice job. So yep. yeah, Raiden's definitely, definitely helped himself. And to be honest, I'm not sure. I, Cause it's, it seemed like from uh, Jim Nagy's tweet that it was the players that are voting on yeah. who gets these, th- these awards, which made it really interesting for my, uh, for my choice. I went with David Moore, uh, who's the top offensive lineman on the American squad. Yep. And I thought, I thought he had a good week, but it's notable because you look at the other offensive linemen on that team Alex Leatherwood, you know, Deontay Brown, uh, Deontay Smith from East Carolina, who had a great week. Uh, Just really, really interesting that David Moore from Grambling, uh, who played guard and center, was the one that came away as the most impressive from that group. Uh, And I think it's a good example of a player who day one was a little rusty and, uh, you know, still getting his feet wet with uh, the level of comp, the timing, uh, the new teammates around him, the different drills. And then uh, day two, day three, he looked better and better. And so I think that that's a that's a big part of of, uh, of Senior Bowl week is seeing who gets better, who uh, you know progresses throughout the week, develops, takes the coaching that's given to them. And David Moore is definitely one of those guys, which is great from a small schooler. 
And I thought that he came out, you mentioned like day one, I thought he was a little overzealous. Like he was just a little bit over aggressive. He was lunging. Right. He was put, you know, he was like, you know, those two hand punches in pass pro. Uh, he was just flying out, you know, to try and, and get that first contact. Uh, was throwing himself off balance, but I thought day two, day three, um, he really kind of came. He, he's a guy not throwing jabs out there. He's looking to finish you when he's uh, throwing those hands and he jolts some linebackers and he got yeah. a couple victims out he there, did. but definitely agree oh, yeah. with your friend was a little aggressive and occasionally uh, shot out over his toes, you know, because of that. Yep. No question. So uh, let's get to our one play takeaway. And this is one play from practice that we will kind of remember most, you know, just thinking back over that. And there's a few that stand out to me, but I don't know that I'm going to forget the image. And anytime we talk about Quinn Miners, I'm going to think about him in nine on seven going up against Levi Onzerike, one of my favorite players down at the game. And he only played that first day of practice, but just driving him three, four yards up into the linebacker's lap and then just dumping him, just getting that finish up at the second level. Uh, that was the play that got me like really, really excited about Quinn Miners because I haven't seen anybody really do that on Onzerike. And what what miners did in that one, uh, that will for sure stick with me, guys. Well, I might as well stay with the miners one. And I think this was on day two. So at this point, we were getting a little desensitized to uh, miners, body slams and slams out there. But this one was against Patrick Jones, I believe, lined up at three tech, went for one of those patented Superman cross chops where you like to Got leave him. your feet, you know, going yeah. with that cross chop, hoping that the guards feet are going to stop. Unfortunately, his feet didn't stop. So a lot of those times you're off the ground, you get caught because of that, like literally caught in the air and torqued and slammed. And that's exactly what he did to Patrick Jones there. I think he got Jones's back or some awkward alignment and finished him into the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patrick Jones definitely won. Didn't have as strong a week as we had hoped on the practice field, but minor, it's definitely uh, took advantage of that one. Yeah. I I tweeted that clip and it's just so impressive that, you know, a D3 guy facing a pit pass rusher was able to stay so patient on a rep like that and keep his eyes, his feet, his hands in unison to combat what Jones was throwing at him, uh, even if he did leave his feet. So just just really impressive. Uh, I went with a shy Smith catch on day one. That to me, that's what, uh, you know, I was thinking about. Shy Smith could not be covered on that first practice. Uh, the, the play speed, uh, just outstanding. And then his ability to go up and make those catches. We saw it on the South Carolina tape and he did it again at practice. So, I mean, you know, it's not a fluke. It's just uh, a really, really impressive slot guy who I graded as a borderline top 100 player uh, coming into the week. Now I think there's a, there's a very good chance he goes on day two, which I don't know how we're going to fit all these receivers onto day two. <laughs> there's about 30 of them, yep. but uh, Shai Smith, so he, he's one of them. Do you think Shai Smith's ready to go? You think he's a receiver three right off the bat for somebody? Yeah, I do. I mean, I he, he's going to have some focus drops, um, you know, here and there. But the play speed, the toughness, uh, yeah, I, I think he's plug him in in the slot and, you know, he can do some things. So from our favorite individual plays to our favorite one-on-one battles of the week, because there are always, there are always those one-on-ones that it's the same guys getting reps against each other week after week or day after day, uh, drill after drill. And I felt there were a few of them that we can kind of pick through here. What was your favorite uh, one-on-one battle from the week? Dane, I'll uh, start with this one with you. I went with Quincy Roche uh, going up against Alex Leatherwood. Uh, you know, Alex Leatherwood, he wanted to play left tackle. And so he got that opportunity at the senior bowl and Roche uh, had a had a really uh, really nice uh, week going up against him. Um, he, he Roche is another guy who came in probably as a fourth rounder. Um, you know, not really viewed as a day two pick uh, by a lot of people around the league. 
now uh, maybe he will be just because of the the week that he had against going up against Alex Leatherwood. Uh, not not the best athlete, and that shows. But he just has the feel and the instincts, uh, understanding how to play the position, and that that leads to production. So uh, I thought Quincy Roche helped himself, and that battle uh, going back and forth, I thought Roche got probably a little bit of uh, you know the best of it, but it was just a fun battle. Did you, do your thoughts on Leatherwood change at all uh, coming out of the week? Not necessarily just that one-on-one matchup, but just from the week overall, Dane? Not, I mean, I, I feel like I know exactly what Alex Leatherwood is. Um, just, you know, what's his, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. The question is, is just what's, does he belong as a tackle or as a guard? That, right. That's to me, that's the main question. Um, I, I had him at guard, I think all season. Yep. And then towards the end of the season, I was like, you know what, maybe he can play. He's doing a nice job and uh, he's going to play tackle at senior bowl. So I moved him to tackle. Now I leaning towards moving him back to guard. It's just, that's his best position. You see some of that, that lower body tightness, uh, I thought it was pretty obvious going up against uh, Roche. And if it's obvious against Roche, it's going to be even more obvious against NFL rushers. Uh, ben, what was your favorite matchup here? Yeah, and I love this question, Fran, because these are some battles that literally leave a lasting impression on the Senior Bowl week for years to come. Yep. And it's that iron sharpens iron, whether it was two years ago. Remember Debo Samuel and Rocky Sin battling every day in yeah, practice? That's a good one. Both ended up being second-round picks years earlier. Who's the only guy to block Danny Shelton in practice? Lake and Tomlinson, both, you know, first round picks. So those Aaron types Donald. of battles. Zach Martin, Zach Martin, Aaron Donald. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to bring that one up. A thousand percent, guys. And it, they literally, these types of battles, I feel like, represent the week in my mind. And I had four or five different battles here. I didn't know which one I want to go with. I'm going to go with one a little offbeat here. Okay. And that's a linebacker running back, Grant Stewart, the big flowing mm. curly hair out that Houston helmet against Larry Roundtree at Missouri. And I think Roundtree got him a couple times in the past game and some of those one-on-ones. But I thought Stewart got the best of him in some past rushes. But no matter what, they saw each other a lot. They banged a lot. They were always given five after the play. Really good battles. Two really strong, I don't want to say um, explosive athletic type of players, but just really strong football players, really powerful players, really technically sound players. They weren't going to out finesse the other player for lack of better word. You knew what you were getting. I just thought they really battled and made each other better throughout the week. Grant Stewart. He's so interesting. When I watched him on film, I was just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I like how his energy, he's running around out there, but where am I playing him on defense? I mean, he's undersized. uh, He's, you know, a little bit of a linebacker safety tweener. I don't, I don't know what to do with this guy, but then seeing him live at the senior bowl, seeing him on special teams. I mean, this guy is going to be a core special teamer for a long, (laughs) long time. And that energy is just, I, I want him on my team. Uh, I don't know what role he's going to play for me on defense, uh, you know, a base defense, but as a uh, special teamer, he, he's, he's got it. No, Dan, I think he's one of these guys that you can't get rid of. He's one of oh, these yeah. guys that maybe doesn't look the part. He doesn't have the right measurables, won't have the right speed, but will just outwill his way and outwork his way into the lineup, to the back end of the roster, and eventually onto the field in the NFL in some capacity. I'm not going to be the one to root this kid out or, you know, to count this kid out. He was 190 pounds safety coming uh, out of high school. He's now up to 230. I think he measured in this week. Not sure if that's helping him or hurting him, but you know what you're getting with his energy uh, and obviously athleticism. Yeah. He was going to go to Yale until Houston came in very, very late wow. in the process. So it was, it was right when Major Applewhite took over. And so they had a, uh, uh, you know, like a late opening. And so, cause he grew up just North of Houston. And so they gave him a late offer and, uh, just, yeah. I mean, just a, a great story that he just outworks everybody. He was a safety. Most of his career moving to linebacker as a senior and, 
just a fun, fun player. Uh, my matchup, guys, I'm going to go to the Big 12. And one of my favorites to watch all week was Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State, against Trey Brown from Oklahoma. Because both these guys were really, really competitive. They got after it rep after rep after rep, whether they were going against each other or not. But when they did face off against each other, it was really fun. And Wallace came out on the on the winning end, I thought, uh, probably a little bit more often than Brown. But Brown had his share of wins as well. So I, I thought that was a really fun one. Uh, There's one rep in particular where I thought they were both really, really competitive from snap to whistle. Wallace ended up making a catch on a, a deep corner route, but uh, I thought that was my favorite one-on-one matchup uh, of the week for sure. So uh, a couple more categories here. Guy who's most or is making you go back to the tape the most. Who surprised you so much that you've got to go back and kind of confirm what you saw from their practice film um, you know, with your own eyes. Ben, uh, I'll come to you first. Well, I got two really fast, both in the same position. The tight end group. We all need to go back and watch Trey McKitty or, you know, figure out what we're going to watch with Trey McKitty. He was a guy who was never overly involved at Florida State or his one year at Georgia. But I thought he had some very highlight plays getting off the line of scrimmage with his release package, separating a couple of highlight plays, one-handed catches down the field. He's got the height, weight, speed. He looks the part. Just never really put it all together in those two offenses on the field. The other one real quick, Boise State tight end John Bates. Really athletic player. I know, Fran, you profiled him a little bit, getting after it in the run game. A guy, not huge numbers in the pass game at Boise State, but when you put on his tape, really, really physical player with good size, good strength, could end up being a mid-round tight end for somebody looking for that wide tight end of the future that could put his hand in the dirt and do that dirty work in the trenches. He erases defensive ends in the run game, but everybody wants that pass game upside. But the guys that do the dirty work on early downs, those are the guys I want. So John Bates, Trey McKitty, two guys I got to go watch the tape this week. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go to the offensive line for mine. And Alaric Jackson from Iowa uh, really caught my eyes, guys, because I was not expecting much coming in. I had major questions about his athleticism, his value in the pass game. I thought he was really good in pass protection all week. Um, you know, I thought that he he showed really heavy, strong hands, uh, showed the ability to just latch on and run his feet through contact. There were a couple of times where he's just steering defenders out of the frame. I thought that he was pretty impressive uh, throughout the course of the week. I wouldn't say he's one of the best two or three linemen there or anything, but I thought in terms of my expectations coming in, I thought he definitely superseded those. Uh, Dane, who was yours? Uh, so I went with Cam Sample. Um, uh, th- th- he consistently stood out from yep. start to finish. And I liked him on his tape, but I didn't necessarily see the same player that I thought we saw throughout the week of practice. A uh, guy that can win with power, can win with quickness. Uh, he'd win inside, he'd win outside. Uh, loved his ability to set up his rush using his hands, using using his body. He just he showed he looked like a more complete player than I remember watching. So I want to go back to his film and just you know is this is this uh, you know more of an improved player that you know we saw get better and better throughout the uh, throughout the year or you know is he doing this all year and I just uh, you know didn't give him enough credit. So Cam Sample definitely a winner from this week. I like it. Let's get to uh, our next category here: underrated performer of the week. Guy we didn't just get enough to. Uh, on our show. We didn't give enough love to, and I'll kick things off with Louisville wide receiver, Des Fitzpatrick. And uh, he ended up leading all players in receiving for the game. I think total yards for the game. He had six catches for 90. Um, 
Fitzpatrick is just a technician. You know, early in the down, uh, his ability to get off press, his ability to create separation. He's not going to wow you with his ability to, to uh, you know, run away from people. He's not a special athlete. Yards after catch is going to be a question moving into the NFL. But uh, really reliable possession threat who I think can get open early um, you know, and has that ability to just be a, a very reliable, automatic player at the catch point. I, I was really uh, impressed with what I saw from Des Fitzpatrick from start to finish this week. Again, not a game-breaker. Not a guy that's going to be a, you know, a top five round pick in fantasy football year after year, but just a really good, solid football player um, that's going to be an important player for his team's offense uh, moving into the NFL. Uh, Dane, who is yours? So I went with the uh, edge rusher from Baylor, William Bradley King, the Arkansas State transfer who, you know, we, we've it, he's come up before on the show, yep. uh, you know, before the season, but I don't think we talked about him at all during the season. And I don't think we talked much of, about him during the week of senior bowl practices, but he just had a, a solid week. Uh, you see the you know, fluidity for a guy that's six, three and a half, 255 pounds, uh, does a nice job defeating blocks. And he did a, a really nice job staying detached. So I think he's a guy that deserves a little more credit uh, for, for the player that he is. And uh, he's probably going to be somewhere. He's going to be drafted somewhere on day three, uh, not a top 100 draft pick by any means. But it's still a quality player who, you know, I thought uh, maybe played a little bit better than uh, the attention that we gave him. Yeah, he uh, he definitely has some power in his hands for sure. His ability to kind of <laughs> jar those defenders, those blockers on first contact uh, really stood out. Ben, who was yours? I'm going to go with one of the more intriguing, mysterious players in this entire class. I thought I had a really strong week. Not a whole lot of buzz out there in the, uh, the Twitter sphere, in the media world. And that's Chris Evans, the running back out of Michigan. Sure. So a guy that played only 93 snaps this year, missed all of last year with a suspension and academic mistake, but has been at Michigan since 2016. He's 23 years old. I thought he showed off some really good route running and hands, getting himself open in the pass game. And it, that checked out on the tape. Screens, angle routes, flares, really naturally catching the football, plucks away from the frame, runs through arm tackles, could run inside, outside, excellent in the open field, has good size at 5'10", 219. And I thought he, every time he's on the field, Fran, he looks great. He was just always buried behind Davion Smith and Karan Higdon. They had quarterback issues there with Peters and O'Corn and Spate and Rudock. Never had oh. offensive stability with that Michigan offense, and then he was off the field in 2019. But when he's on the field, you put the ball in his hands, he's a really, really interesting, productive player that he's 23 years old. He better be ready ready to go right now in the NFL. So uh, he's a guy I want to go watch his tape, and I thought had a really good week and needs some more buzz. It's a, a murderer's row of quarterbacks that you brought up there for, <laughs> for Michigan. Uh, let's get to our final category, guys, our small school standout. Uh, we talked about Quinn Miners, obviously, and he was a guy uh, that certainly came from the lower level and tore it up. But, uh, Dane, was there another not, another name from a guy outside the Power Five that you thought shined most uh, the, the, during the entire week? Yeah, Kay Johnson. Um, yeah, that's a good pick. He's so easy to like. I've made the Dennis Northcutt comparison. Um, I, I think he's just – he consistently won, whether it was with speed, whether it was uh, with a little bit of route savvy to him, uh, caught everything thrown his way. And then you combine that with his tape and you, you know, play speed and toughness. He has the ingredients needed to play in the slot. And I think just throw on the Minnesota tape from uh, last year, Minnesota couldn't cover him. And so, you know, he's a former walk on, couldn't even get a scholarship to uh, South Dakota state. Uh, had to walk on there, and they quickly realized, okay, this guy is one of our best players. Better give him a scholarship. 
Um, there, there's so much to like about him and his ability to uncover, give the quarterback a clean target, uh, do a little bit after the catch. So he is just a reliable slot option and just another one of those, uh, you know, slots uh, coming out of the senior bowl with Amari Rogers and Shai Smith and uh, Demetri Felton and then on and on. I mean, Kate Johnson's right there in that mix. Kate Johnson, you can make the argument was one of the best five players over the week of practice. Like you, I mean, you very easily could make that argument and I think win it in, in my mind, uh, Ben, uh, who was yours? Well, this receiver Fran, I wrote down comps after this week, okay. Nicole Hardman, Brandon cooks. Oh yeah. Who am I picking? Uh, D Eskridge. No question about it. It's a guy that had a four, three, three laser timed a couple of years ago. I think not having that combine is really going to hurt his stock in the national consensus. Cause he was going to flirt with a four, two, nine or something sub four, three. I thought he had a really good week and just put his name out in there into the national conversation. The guy from Western Michigan was a receiver, actually moved over to corner in 2019 for a couple of games before injuring his collarbone, went back to offense this year. It's really just an all-purpose type of athlete. So, McCole Hardman, I think, is a really good kind of comparison for how he can be used at the next level. I don't think he's a first-round pick or a second-round, but he's a guy with elite speed waking up in the morning, and it was just nice to see him flash some of that and get an opportunity to show it on a national stage. Yeah, I think uh, he was ranked like 76 in my top 100 going in. And so, I, I mean, he's only going up from there. Right. I mean, he's going to creep up towards being mentioned as a possible second rounder and uh, just a just a really easy, easy player to like. I mean, his 2020 film is outstanding uh, and just really, really impressive. So uh, from his 2020 film and his senior bowl stuff. Uh, just an easy, easy player to like, even if he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, even if he's not the biggest guy, the speed and the ball skills are terrific. The wide receiver class is so good again. Oh, it's I mean, bonkers. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, we're so many, we, we haven't talked about like Cornell Powell. We haven't talked about, uh, you know, the, the Josh Palmer. We haven't talked about Austin Watkins who had a good week uh, down there. There's just a Trevon bunch Grimes of, had Trevon his, Grimes his had a good week. Moments. Yeah. yeah. You know, a bunch of the guys really, really impressive uh, at the wide receiver position. My last guy, uh, I'm going to hit on Northern Iowa pass rusher Ellerson Smith and I could have very easily made an argument for him for the guy that impressed me most off my preconceived notions of him I wasn't super super high on him coming into the week developmental player uh, I thought he had some really nice individual plays uh, whether it was in one-on-ones team drills he showed up uh, in the game as well on Saturday so uh, Ellerson Smith a small school player uh, that I thought really handled the opportunity very very well so we covered a bunch of players uh, so far let's cover a couple more we're gonna go now on the clock on the clock. All right, guys. So once again, here for on the clock for our listeners that joined us, I'll, what was it? Two weeks ago, we did our new version of this segment where I've got my little randomizer here. I've got three different windows open where I'm basically going to spin the wheel and we're going to pick a position, an NFL team, and our area of the draft. And you got to play matchmaker here. And Dane, uh, I have already run it for you. You have got the Jacksonville Jaguars, a strong safety. In mm. round three, so uh, I ran yours as you're kind of kind of coming up with your selection. Uh, I'll get the uh, the randomizers here going um, for Ben's pick, but strong safety for the Jaguars on in round three of this draft. Okay, so well, anytime we hear Jaguars, I think you know you have to make that automatic connection. Okay, Ohio State uh, right. with Urban Meyer, he's running things now in Jacksonville. Would they consider Sean Wade here? Maybe if you move him full-time to safety, Ooh, that's a possibility. Um, 
I'm going to cheat a little bit here. And okay. so instead of strong safety, let's focus on a box defender role. And I'm going to go Pete Werner here. Uh, partly because I know Urban Meyer loves Pete Werner. He was one of his favorite players in Columbus. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that factor, that, that, that's a factor no in doubt. all this. Yep. The other part is Werner's just, he's a little bit of a safety linebacker tweener. He's 6'1", 230-ish, but he moves around really well. He can be uh, that box defender that you're looking for, uh, but also drop in space and cover. So, you know, they're looking for a strong safety, but maybe this, you know, redefining it as a box defender, uh, Pete Werner would make some sense but because he can can play, but also because... Uh, it just feels like a very Urban Meyer type of pick with his competitiveness and the versatility and the relationship there. All right. I so kind of like that uh, that third round Sean Wade uh, fit there for a second. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like that idea too. And even though <clears throat> moving him to safety uh, idea. Ben, uh, I've run yours. You have got also in round three, and this gets a little bit interesting. Well, round three, okay. The news from the weekend, the LA Rams, who I don't believe have a round three, but as we sit here right now, I know they might have one uh, coming their way through. Uh, Listen, viewers, the their situation's a little fluid at the yeah. moment for the Rams, all <laughs> right? So don't don't kill us for this. So we've got the LA Rams, round three, but you've got them to, uh, a running back. So this is a team that has already taken a running back. They took one in the second round in, in uh, Cam Akers last year. I believe it was a second rounder as well uh, the year before with the kid out of Memphis. So you've got uh, two day two backs in two straight years. You're about to make it three. Yeah, but it's also a trend of less need. And his nine drafts with the Rams, he's taken a first, second, or third round running back five times. You go back to uh-huh. Todd Gurley. You go back to Trey Mason, Isaiah Pede was a second round pick. He's a guy not afraid to pull the trigger on a early round running back. So what type of back are we looking for with these profiles? We have Daryl Henderson back there, 5'8", 208, Cam Akers, 5'10", suit 217. I think we need a little bit more shiftiness, somebody good in the screen game, but can get those tough yards, you know, between the tackles. I'm looking for someone in a Daryl Henderson type mold. Hmm. Initially, I had Trey Sermon pegged here. And then I said, no, no, no. I crumpled that up. I threw it away. I said, we got to go Michael Carter out of North Carolina for this pick. I think he's going to provide a great third down presence for that Rams offense, not only in the screen game, but obviously maybe being used in some matchup situations with some angle routes. And you can see him catch the ball down the field a few times in that North Carolina offense. But I just like his style in a very similar 5'8", 200-pound mold to Daryl Henderson that I think he's going to be able to come right in and contribute and uh, take a couple snaps away from Cam Akers. See, like I almost think of it as would it be someone that, A, is too good to pass up, so someone that fell to them they weren't expecting, or someone that kind of complements the skill sets of those guys, so like a Najee Harris. Like if Najee fell to them in round three, like would he be like too good to pass up and also a good complement to the guys they have? That would be a guy I would almost think I feel like the too. first wave is going to be gone. So the ETNs, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the Najees, uh, maybe even some of the gadget type guys, what do you want to call them, the Demetric Feltons Felton, yeah. and Kadarius Tonys of the world. And then it's just this next wave. You know, could it be a Kenneth Gainwell type there? You know, a uh, Khalil Herbert. I also wouldn't put it past them to take Michael Carter's teammate, Javante Williams, who's an excellent contact balance type of guy. But I just want someone that can contribute a little bit more on third down for him right off the bat. And I think we all love what Michael Carter provides to any offense in the NFL. All right, so I've run mine. I've had a little bit of time to, to look into this a little bit. So I have the New Orleans Saints first round. Defensive tackle. Now, uh, Sheldon Rankins is set to become a free agent. He's been banged up for you know the last couple of years anyway. Now, really, now, really quick, Fran, let's put a little bit, a little bit of context to this. Since it yeah. is the first round pick, we know where the Saints are going to be picking the back end. Is your pick going to reflect 
where the Saints are picking in round one. Yes. 20, 29th overall. Yes, for sure. Not that there is an interior defensive tackle clamoring, you know, top 10 discussion. Correct. I, I was wondering what, if that, if that weighed into your, uh, you know, it your does fiction. for sure. Yes. It will definitely weigh in. And I, I think, look, really the only guy I feel like we're definitely talking about right now in first round of mock drafts is Christian Barmore from Alabama. The other guy that I feel, and I believe he was in Dale Jeremiah's first round mock draft uh, from Washington, Levi Onzerike. Um, you know, I think when you look at Onzerike, first, number one, that play personality. You, you look at, uh, look at Rankins, you look at uh, David Onyemata, you look at Cam Jordan, these violent, high urgency, you know, sideline to sideline defensive players, um, you know, guys that have that kind of mindset. I feel like Onzerike really kind of slides in and, and fits that. And he also has a versatile skill set. We, we uh, Ben, you and I have studied that Saints defense. We know how multiple they are. We know how they can line up guys at different techniques. I feel like Onzerike is a guy that can line up, you know, whether it's on the nose or a three technique, even as you slide him outside uh, as a defensive end in some packages, I feel like he's uh, he has that pers- positional versatility uh, that they lack. Malcolm Brown, the, the the free agent or the nose tackle they signed from New England, former first round pick. He's entering a contract year. Makes sense. I feel like Onzerike is a guy that can come in, be a part of the rotation year one, and then become a full time starter uh, in year two. It's all, uh, that's a great pick there. His versatility. He looks like Cam Jordan. He looks like uh, uh, the Onyemata. You know, just the ability to play up and down, three tech edge, maybe even a little one tech in some sub packages. That's a great pick there, friend. Guys, do we think this is? I'm getting you guys off the cuff here. Do we feel like the Detroit Lions are out of the quarterback market in round one uh, for people that are making mock drafts out there, or do you feel like Dane when you're make, when you make your next mock is quarterback completely off the board for you with uh, with Jared Goff in tow, or do you feel like it's that's still oh, no. an open door? Oh yeah, no, I, a quarterback's definitely a possibility there. It just it is the right one there, and that's uh, you know who, who's the right one. Uh, you know, obviously with that that contract. The Lions are gonna have to hold on to golf for a little bit, but um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think he was from a Lions perspective. I don't think Jared Goff was a key piece of that trade. Right. He was a key piece of that trade for the Rams' perspective to right. get rid of that contract. So I, I think the Lions, as they look at it, they know they still need to answer the long-term future of their franchise at that position. So if the right guy is available there, uh, then I think that's the direction they go. I think uh, not to get too far, uh, you know, but a. Uh, uh, kind of a ripple effect of that trade is all of a sudden you're Carolina, you're sitting there at eight and now, you know, you're looking at Detroit in front of you as, okay, well maybe I need to trade in front of Detroit now to get the quarterback uh, that we want. So it's just a a lot of intrigue now with that trade and what the lions might do and how that kind of shakes up the quarterbacks in the top 10. And we may not know it. I was going to say, Fran, we may not know it until that pick comes in because the conversation around this position is going to be very delicate. You know, considering golf coming in, you obviously don't want to turn him off and give the confidence that he can be the starter if you need him for the next couple of years. You don't want to immediately seem like he's a placeholder or a stopgap. You want to give him the confidence that he's the guy, even though they may be looking to the future or, you know, who that next starter may be. So I think the next couple of months and the smoke screens about who they're interested in or not interested in is going to be really interesting and may not always tell us what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like uh, when you look at the intrigue surrounding uh, that, you know, the, their their pick, which is uh, right now sitting obviously in the top 10 uh, at the number seven overall slot. I feel like that adds a little bit of intrigue to the team that's picking a number six. And we'll see. We'll see, uh, you know, kind of how that plays <laughs> out. Uh, but guys, this is always fun. Uh, this will be a fun little segment we do each and every week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We'll talk to both of you guys uh, later this week. 
Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so Draft Mailbag, we've got a couple comments I want to hit on here. First one comes from Ryan K823. Ask a question. Would taking Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, be considered a reach for the Eagles with the sixth overall pick? I see a dominant receiver, and the Eagles do a good job at developing tight ends, but the positional value of a tight end isn't as high as a tackle or an outside receiver. I see Pitts as an elite player, but there are other areas where the football team could benefit with another position as well. So, Ryan, it's a good question. I don't even think that it's pertinent to necessarily just the Eagles because I I think there are a lot of teams that are going to be asking this question. How high? do you value the tight end position? And I think ultimately the teams that, and we talked about this during the season when we did the under the hood segment, me and Ben, when we talked about those athletic tight ends and Kyle Pitts is certainly a dynamic athlete at the position. How do you get the most out of that player? Does Can he be a pure three down guy or does he always need to be paired with somebody else? I look at Kyle Pitts and I, I do wonder, does he need, can he be a three down guy or does he always need to be paired with another guy who can be more of an inline presence? And that's where you benefit is where you play a lot of 12 personnel. You know, let's say, uh, you know, Daniel Jeremiah just mocked Kyle Pitts to the San Francisco 49ers, right, going into Senior Bowl week. And he mentioned, hey, this is a positionless player. This is a guy that, you know, if you're just trying to find the best players on the field, the best mismatches on the field, the ability to get the defense where it hurts, hey, if we're going to come out with George Kittle and Kyle Pitts, you throw in Kyle Juszczyk, you throw in Debo Samuel, you throw in Brandon Ayuk, right? 12 personnel, 21 personnel, 22 personnel. You're keeping the defense in their base defense, in their base coverage, their base personnel package with three linebackers out in the field. Now you're really forcing their hand in terms of how to try and play all those players. Now, if Kyle Pitts, you look at him and say he could be an outside receiver in terms of his ability to be dominant outside the numbers. We've seen him win matchups this year against some of the best corners in the SEC, guys that are going to be first, second round picks in this draft. We've seen Pitts win one-on-one repeatedly against those guys. Now, not all those guys are going to be NFL starters, but I think when you look at what he can be in the NFL, you're going to every team is going to ask, hey, how does he fit into our offense? Can we try and reshape what we do to try and take advantage of the of the defense? I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. In my opinion, there are not every offense is going to be able to get the most out of Kyle Pitts. I think there are a few coaches out there uh, and few, I'll say like trees of offense that will be able to most take advantage of his skill set. Kyle Pitts is a really, really intriguing player. And it's going to be a lot like the Quentin Nelson discussion a few years ago where you saw Quentin Nelson He's going to be an elite player, right? If you view that Kyle Pitts is going to be an elite player, forget what the the draft value is and what the positional value is anywhere in the top half of the first round. If you feel like he can be a true blue chip player, a perennial Pro Bowl talent, you take him and you figure it out. And I, I think that'll be really, really interesting to see how that's viewed moving forward into the spring. All right, let's get to the last one here. J.H. Sherman left a two-star review. And this is a, a great review saying, Clearly an analytically flawed philosophy guiding this podcast, quote, build in the trenches. J.H. Uh, Sherman, I'm assuming, and I, I have no idea, but I'm assuming you were referring to uh, the way that I built my team in, my, in the mock draft that we did at the, at the beginning of last week's uh, you know, Senior Bowl coverage where I was trying to build through the trenches, and you're damn right. That's exactly how I believe uh, teams should be built. Yeah, you, you're going to try and get skill position talent, but I think looking, even just looking at that Senior Bowl draft, the offensive line talent, the defensive line talent, Dried up quickly. There are wide receivers available up and down the depth chart there uh, on the Senior Bowl that were making plays. A lot of the guys that we you know looked the best last year in practice, we didn't even draft, and it kind of speaks to the depth of the position. I think when you look at 
all these play, all these teams that are competing for uh, for Super Bowls on a yearly basis. You look at the what they've put, obviously into the quarterback position, right? Because quarterback uh, trumps everything. But when you look at what they've done in the offensive line, what do the Bucks do? They just drafted their right tackle, who has been an absolute stud, protecting Tom Brady uh, this year. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs; they've got multiple first-round picks on their line. You've, they've got multiple Pro Bowlers on their line on their defensive front. I think when you look at winning in the trenches. That is a very easy success uh, or a transition to success in the NFL. So I'm not going to apologize for it. I would say that's a little bit harsh, giving me a two-star review uh, based solely off of that comment, but uh, that's that's where we are. We are right now. Really appreciate everybody uh, that continues to go over to our Apple Podcast page. Leave us those ratings. Leave us those comments. Hopefully they're not two-star reviews moving forward, but appreciate everybody that has given us that love over on our Apple Podcast page, wherever you listen to the show. Thanks so much to everybody once again for listening here to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We'll be back later this week. I've got a fun show lined up for you. We'll talk to you here later this week.